So while we were overseas, uh, one of the first things we did was the lang learn the language, uh, which that took a long time for us to figure out how to make all those funny sounds. But that was sort of step point five. It wasn't even step one, because step one was really learn the language. We had to understand the place where God had suddenly called us to live. We had to figure out what made people tick, uh, what, how they thought, the jokes that they thought were funny, all those little things that you really only pick up after you've been there for a while. And so one of the ways that we kind of devised in order to learn this was on Saturdays uh, when you know language school wasn't in session, we'd buy a ticket, either a train ticket or a bus ticket, to a city we didn't know very much about, and we'd travel there and just go see what we can learn. Uh, when I travel, my family makes fun of me. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> when I travel, my family makes fun of me because I have this plastic blue folder that I've had for decades now. I put all of our travel documents inside of the blue folder, and I always tell the family, if anything happens to me, grab the folder, right? That's, it has everything in there that you need to know. I would always print out uh, you know, bus schedules, plane tickets, copies of passports, like you name it, everything was in the blue folder. But when we would do these cultural, you know, trips, these excursions, I wasn't allowed to take a blue folder. That's just mean. But I didn't take a blue folder. I had, we had to just survive by our wits. We had to figure things out as we uh, traveled around. One day, me and Lance and my teammate decided to go to a town called Gubbio. Not a funny name. Uh, we went to Gubbio. It was a bus. Uh, we had to take a bus to get there. Super windy road. The only thing we knew about Gubbio is that there was a cable car that went up to the center of town. It was kind of. Uh, it was built on a hill, and the main old center of town was in the, uh, was uphill. So we finally found the train station or the uh, cable car station. Bought tickets and were shocked because the cable car was a cable cage, and all it was was a wooden floor. Uh, with, uh, yeah, wait, hold on. Look at that guy's hair. <laughs> so thick and luxurious, wasn't it? <laughs> Those were the days. So the cable car was a piece of wood uh, with poles around it that were kind of the safety cage, and then there was a round, you know, part right here, and there's a little gate that you stepped in, enough for one person. Uh, but Lance was super little, so I'm like, He's getting on with me. I'm not going to put him on the cage of death without his dad, right? So, and he, poor Lance, he was terrified. I mean, it was all open there. You just looked down and saw everything except this little piece of wood you were standing on. And I thought how, he was almost that, you guys, parents know, you're, there's one thing where your kids are scared, but then there's a next step where they're about to panic and they're going to lose it if we don't figure out a solution to what they're facing. Do you know the, that transition where you go, okay, it's no longer just I'm scared, it's Lance is about to have a meltdown right here at this cable car station. But I said, no, 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 it'll be fine. What I want you to do, Lance, just get on, I'm going to hold on to you. I can't hold you up here because you'll plummet to your death, right? <laughs> Stay right here. And I told him, I remember this plain as day, and I even asked Lance about it this week. I said, Lance, I just want you to look at me, okay? Don't look at the gate, don't look at the piece of wood that's chipped, don't look at... <laughs> the hillside around you. I just want you to look at me. And I actually, I didn't put it up here because Lance is kind of half crying in the picture, but I have a picture of him looking up at me just terrified, which was mean of me to take a picture. But anyway, uh, that's what we did. We made it up to the top of this cable car cage thing. 
Uh, and I just said, Lance, it's important for you to look at me. And that's how we did it. And he finally calmed down. And he was able to kind of take his eyes off and look around at the scenery. We made it up to the top. And we had a really good time up there once we got there. And then we had to get it back on to go down. That was uh, tough again. But so scary at first, right? And I'm really glad Heidi was not with us on this trip because she would have put her foot down and said, absolutely not. Nobody is getting on this cable car of death, right? But so worth it once you got up to the top. Uh, we can handle tons of scary stuff like that when we're with people that we love, that we care about. Uh, I can handle a lot of rough situations if I know that I'm with my family, if I'm in my small group sharing things, if I'm uh, talking to people that I know care about me. It's way easier to handle scary situations like that when we keep our focus where it belongs. But when we don't have that, when we are alone and scared and nervous and not sure what the future holds, well, that's where things get difficult, isn't it? Um, I want you to open up your Bibles or open the phone, uh, your app up on your phone to uh, John 14. That's where we're going to be uh, the whole sermon today. John 14 is the passage where we're studying, but the chapter 13 is a little bit interesting. Every Bible is different. Uh, your app on your phone and the Bibles in the pews and my Bible that I'm using up here, they have headings, like little, you know, cheater notes uh, in, the in the text itself. Now, the reason why those differ from Bible to Bible is because they are made up. They are not a part of the Bible. Uh, the Bible, the, the oldest copies that we have don't have these headings. That's just for us to read. But in my Bible, I want to read to you what the three headings are in the chapter preceding what the one we're going to study the first one is Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You guys know that story, right? This was at the, right before the Last Supper. Jesus puts on uh, servant clothes. He grabs a towel and some water, and he wipes the disciples' feet. Like this incredibly moving lesson uh, that Jesus was giving the disciples that said, this is what my kingdom is all about. It's not about who's important. It's not about who gets to be the boss. It's about who is the best servant of everybody. I imagine that stuck with them. Like that was uh, like just burned into their memory, the idea of Jesus, their Savior, the Messiah, on his knees washing their dirty feet. Heading number two, Jesus predicts his betrayal. As they're having dinner, he actually calls out Judas and says, Judas is going to betray me. And then Judas runs out of the room, and we don't see him again until the arrest. Huge deal, right? Like, Jesus calls out the guy that is going to end up betraying him. I, don't, I cannot fathom what that was like to be at that dinner and to see the guy that you've been walking around Israel with run out the door and do something that you, that you think is unimaginable. And then the next heading in my Bible is Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal. Peter, the rock, one of Jesus' right-hand men is going to betray Jesus as well. Like, I... I don't know what the rest of dinner was like. I bet it was uncomfortable. That is the situation in the room leading up to the passage that we're going to talk about in John 14 today. Can you have, do you have that picture in your mind? Suddenly, everything that was good and clear and everything that they knew about following Jesus is out the door. And we get to John chapter 14. Here's what it says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's Jesus' words. You believe in God. Believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, uh, take you to be with me where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus told the disciples super scary stuff, and then he reassures him. He says, hey, don't be troubled, which is the opposite of what I would be doing in that moment. I would have been troubled, but he says, don't be troubled. Things seem to be spiraling out of control, but he says, remember the basics. And I love the things that he told them to remember. Believe in God, step one. Also believe in me, step two. If you get that, those two facts correct, you're going to be all right. Like if you get, I believe in God, and I also believe in Jesus, well, you're going to be able to handle a lot of things, Right? You're going, to be handle, you're going to be able to handle the betrayal of Jesus. You're going to be able to handle when Peter totally blows it and denies Jesus three times. If you get those two things right, you believe in God, remember that. Also believe in me. Don't forget that either. Isn't that key for us to do? Not just the disciples, but for us to remember the basics. Sometimes we just need to take a breath and remember I believe in God. He is going to take care of me no matter what the situation is going to happen. Sometimes that's enough. Getting Lance onto the rickety cable car of death was tough, but he had to remember the basics, right? Dad's here. Dad's not going to let him fall to his death on the cable car. That's the basics. And then when you remember that, you can handle a lot of other stuff. Now, I want you to be really careful with the next verse that we read. If you have an older version of the Bible, like the King James, it's going to say, in my father's house there are many mansions. And then you're going to think, ooh, I get a mansion in heaven. That'll be fun, right? I hope it's big. I wonder how many bathrooms it has. I wonder if it has a pool, right? The problem is, when the King James Version was translated in the 1600s, the word mansions meant something very different. It meant place. And so our newer versions say place. Does your Bible say place? I'll go to there to prepare a place for you. That is the best interpretation of that word. But a lot of people think, they still have it in their mind because they remembered it from Sunday school a long time ago, that, God is gonna, or that Jesus is going to prepare a mansion for us. But that word means something very different in our modern times. So sometimes you've got to be a little careful when you're using an older translation like that. So God's gonna, Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. Uh, which is kind of astonishing to think about, isn't it? That the day that I die, I'm, I get to go up and I get to be in God's presence, which is already incredible enough, and at some spot, there's going to be a little sign that says Brian Rodert lives here, or I don't, I don't know what it's going to say, if I have an address or whatever, but Jesus left earth, and he is preparing a place for me, for us, for his followers to reside, to dwell, to be with forever and ever and ever. But the thing that is incredible is what did Jesus say? He said, I, I have to leave. We know from other passages, I have to leave. Why? What was the big deal if he left? If he leaves, the spirit comes, right? Jesus says, I'm going to leave, which is probably the scariest thing that he could have said to the disciples. 
Like everything that you've known for the last three years is coming to an end in a bloody, gruesome death. But it's really good if, that, if I go away because if I do, the Spirit comes. Thomas, who lots of, he's got a bum rap in the Bible because everybody knows him as Doubting Thomas. But there's other times in it where Thomas said things like, uh, Jesus was going somewhere and he said, all right, everybody, let's get up and go die with him. He, had, he really, Thomas really did say that. But somehow we remember the whole, you know, unless I see the nail prints and the, then I'm not going to believe that he's raised. I don't know, maybe 50-50. But anyway, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way, right? He's asking a very practical, like, uh, Jesus, uh, just the GPS, that's what I want to know. I want to put it in. Do you ever talk to somebody like that? who you ask them where they live and they say, well, you go down to the old maple tree and then you turn, take a left and then you go to the Gray's farmhouse and when you get to their, the farmhouse where they used to live, you turn right and then look for my mother-in-law on the left. She'll be by a stop sign and you're just like, just give me the address. I'll put it in my GPS, right? Like I don't need you know, the name of the rock that was laying there a hundred years ago, just give me the address and I'll put it on my GPS. Thomas is very practical like that. Jesus, we don't know where you're going. I'm not sure what you're asking of us. Very practical question. Now, our sermon series that we're going through is all the times in the Bible where Jesus said, I am. And you guys remember, I am was very scandalous. That was God's special holy name. And when Jesus uses it, it's sort of like, scandalous. It's, it's hard to hear, and Jesus is making an incredibly bold claim. He's putting himself on the same level as God himself. Thomas didn't understand where Jesus was going, and Jesus answers him this way in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You ever heard somebody say, uh, it's not the destination that's important, it's the journey? A lot of times they tell you that like on a, a road trip that people go on to go see a ball of twine or something like that, right? It's not the ball of twine that's important, it's the road trip. It's hanging out in the car and eating snacks and listening to music and talking. That's the important part, not the twine. And I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that in Jesus' words to the disciples. Yes, we want you to get to the Father, but I'm the way to get to the Father. So if you want to go to that destination, then you have to know me. The destination in this case is really important, but the journey is really, really important. Getting to know Jesus is the way to get to the Father. Think about how many ways that we try and get to God. Tons of ways. I think most people, not everybody, but I think most people, if they're really honest, will admit that they, there is something that's not right with us. That all of us, every single person, is somehow just a little bit broken. That the, our relationship with our Creator isn't the way that it was intended to be. Blaise Pascal, I love how he put it. He was a French mathematician slash philosopher, I guess. This is way back in the 1600s. He said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum 
in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, by only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Boy, he just summarized my whole sermon right there. Inside every one of us, there's like a hole that, can, that is shaped like God, so that only God is able to fill that hole. And we're going to try to fill it with all kinds of different things. We are going to attempt to shove square-shaped pegs into a God-shaped hole, if that makes sense. Sometimes we try and use the relationships that we have around us, thinking that other people are going to be able to fill up that hole, but they can't. The only thing that can fill a God-shaped hole is God. And Jesus is super clear. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one fills up that hole except through me. That's 100% exclusive. He doesn't leave any other options for filling up that hole that's inside of all of us. We're not going to get to the Father through our own merit. If we just think that if we're good enough, God's going to give us a thumbs up and say, you're okay. We're not going to be able to get to the Father if we just stay true to ourselves or follow your hearts. I hear that sometimes, and I think that's the dumbest thing you could do. We are not going to get to the Father by doing more good stuff than bad stuff in our life. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We're not going to get to the Father by performing good deeds or keeping the chain of buying people's beverages, going in Starbucks, you know that. That's not how we get to the Father. We're not going to get to the Father by serving enough meals to the homeless. We don't get to the Father because we know enough stuff about the Bible or about God. We don't get there by believing all the right things about Him. We don't get to the Father if we do our very best to stop sinning, as if that were even possible. What is the one way that we get to God again? Through Jesus. He is the way, not a way, but He is the way. And we get to the Father by knowing His Son. Jesus is the only way that we're going to restore the broken relationship that we have with God. It's broken. It's messed up. And only through Jesus and knowing him are we going to fill up that hole and fix it. Guys, the the God-shaped vacuum inside of us, it'll tear us up if we don't fill it up. And we will seek a million different ways to fill up that hole. Your friends and family that don't follow Jesus have tried a hundred ways to fill up that hole inside of them. But there is exactly one way to fill it, and that's with God, and you get to him through Jesus. So keep going. The disciples are still confused at this point as Jesus is talking. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? That was not the answer to his question, wasn't it? Was it? Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? I love that answer. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. 
And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus and the Father are one in every imaginable, conceivable way. We talk about the Trinity sometimes. It's a made-up word that doesn't exist in the Bible, but it is everywhere in the Bible. Where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all one, but they're different, and they're like an egg, and they're like water, and we come up with a hundred ways to try and describe it. That kind of work, but I don't think any of us truly understand it. Do you see the, the oneness that God and Jesus have? I and the Father are one. The Father's in me. I'm in the Father. Everything I do is because I have God's authority to do so. Separate but the same. Different but somehow all united. Jesus speaks, and when he does, it's the Father who gives him the authority to do so. Jesus does miracles. He heals people all over the New Testament, doesn't he? And we need, when he does, it's because the Father is giving his approval. That's it. Thumbs up. God says, okay. And then verse 12 says that if we believe in Jesus, we will do the same works as him. Really? The things that we read about that Jesus did in the Gospels, we do? We heal people from whatever makes them sick? Ooh. Actually, what? keep going. We're going to do greater things. Greater than Jesus? Because he's leaving, we get to do all of that stuff? You see, that's where the third part of the Trinity comes in, the Spirit, right? Jesus leaves, and that's good for him to do so. And when he does, the Spirit comes and lives inside of us. Having the Spirit in us is better than having Jesus physically next to us. That is a, I will never truly understand that, I don't think. I think I get it. Having the Spirit inside of us, living in us, is better than having Jesus physically next to us. Isn't that kind of the perfect solution to the, the vacuum that's inside of all of us? Jesus' death, his resurrection means that the Spirit comes and fills that hole right up. And when that happens, the Spirit speaks to us. He corrects us when we need to be corrected. He rebukes us when we do something that's really boneheaded. He prays on our behalf when we don't even have the words to pray. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit directs us. The Spirit knows us better than anybody else. He tells us where He wants us to go, what He wants us to do in His life. He digs out the sin that's inside of us that makes us so sick. He encourages us and slowly... Gradually, unceasingly, he helps us to be more like Jesus. And then we get to do great things in God's kingdom. He is going to open up doors for us to tell the whole world and our best friend what it means to be his follower. We get to go and ask for anything in Jesus' name, and Jesus says he's going to do it. Hold on. Do not ask for winning lottery numbers. I know that's what you all were thinking. It says right there that I get to ask for anything, and Jesus has to do it, right? You missed a little phrase. Ask for anything, what? In my name. That means you ask for anything that Jesus would ask for, and he'll do it. It's hard for me to picture Jesus playing the Roman Powerball. <laughs> I just don't think it's, ha I don't think it's happening. So for me to ask for that wouldn't exactly be asking for something in his name, would it be? 
Jesus, give us the courage to open our mouths and tell just one person about him this week. That's a prayer that Jesus would pray. Jesus, help us to reach across racial, racial lines that we don't even quite understand and we find very confusing. Help us to see past the prejudices that we all have. That's a prayer Jesus would pray. Jesus, we need your help to change as a church so that we can reach lost people, so that we can reach the next generation of people who are going to lead this church someday. That's a prayer that Jesus would pray. Jesus, we need your help making sure that our politics and our politicians, the ones we vote for, align with the values of God's kingdom. That's a prayer that Jesus would pray. Jesus, we need your help, and we need the Spirit to come and rip out all the sin that's inside of us. That's a prayer that Jesus would pray. So we get to ask for anything in his name, and he'll do it. And we're going to do greater things than the things that Jesus did. That's a head-scratcher to me. That's what he said. There's two things that I think we need to do based on this passage, changes that we need to make, all of us. The first is that we need to be 100% sure that we believe that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to the Father, full stop. There is no other self-help method, psychological thing that is going to get us to God. It is only because we believe in Jesus. I'm guessing that most of us would say, we believe that, but we very easily let other things creep in and take that place. Are we tempted ever to think that just showing up here on a Sunday and absorbing all that happens is enough to get us to the Father? That's not even close. Gathering with a body is good, but that's not how we get to God, is it? Are we tempted to serve people around us so that we can restore our relationship with God? Serving people is great. It's one of God's commands, but... We don't get to God by doing good stuff. We get to God by knowing his son. What's your way of going around Jesus? What's your way of doing an end run around him? I think we probably all have subtle ways that we do that. All we need to do is know Jesus. Know what he taught, what he said, what he did, who he spent time with. And then we obey his commands and we try as much as possible to be like him. The second thing that we need to do is big things in his name. That's what we got to do. We need to ask God to give us the courage to talk to people about what it means to be his follower. We need to ask God to, for the power to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. We need to ask God to help us do the hard work of making disciples who make disciples. That's hard. I think about that a lot. What does it take for us as a church to make disciples who make disciples? It's slow. It's tedious. It's two steps forward and three and a half steps back. It's circular. It doesn't always go the way we think it does, but as a church, we must be good at making disciples who are also making disciples. We have to ask God to help us do things that are bigger than Jesus himself did. I want to pray together as a church, and I, want, I don't want to assume that anyone in this room has already made that decision, that they 
100% believe that Jesus is the way to get to the Father. I want us to, all of us, believer and non-believer alike, to examine that and figure out how, where are we at on that scale? Are we 100% relying on Jesus to do that? 90%, 0%? That's up to you and God to figure that out. And if you are interested in moving the needle from 0 to 100, I'd love it if you came and visited with me. And the rest of us need to prepare to do big things in God's kingdom because Jesus said we will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, these words of your son that were so comforting. Jesus knew that his disciples were freaking out at this point and scared at what was happening and uh, literally watching Judas march out the door to go and betray him, knowing that Peter was just about to deny him. God, your, word, his, your son's words were so comforting. They reminded the disciples of what was important. God, we need that same reminder all the time. Just like Lance needed the reminder to look at me in order to get onto the cable car, Father, we, we all need to remember to look to your son so that through that we can know you. God, it's what all of us want. It's what all of us need. Father, it's you have created us to almost instinctually or unconsciously search for you. And God, it's only you that's going to fill them. Help us to remember that lesson this week and to tell somebody else about it. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.